Welcome to the Get Your Donut Podcast. We're here to exchange our consumeristic Christianity for a life fully surrendered to Christ, and to never let our faith be as simple as grabbing coffee and a donut in the lobby. Let's do this. Well, welcome everybody to the Get Your Donut Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Reed, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the show, our first episode. As we've talked about on the podcast trailer, uh, the show is called Get Your Donut, which is uh, really a way for us to point out a widespread and attractive approach to faith, church, and family. I think as a, as a culture, we've become accustomed to and, and comfortable with a church culture that allows us to, to show up on Sunday, to grab a donut, and then to just step into a really comfortable service, right? The, the music is what we like. The preaching is what we like. The people are just like us. And we get this whole experience tailored just for us. We become so comfortable uh, with that experience and with that idea that, that we've seen it seep into and apply to other areas of life as well. Uh, just getting our donut, if you will, has become this attitude that we bring into our faith, our families, again, our churches, other areas of life. And so some questions that we have to ask ourselves are, how, how willing am I to follow Jesus? How committed am I to God's picture of family, to God's picture of church, to God's picture of faith? Those are all questions that we have to forcibly ask ourselves in the face of a culture that convinces us the purpose of our life is to live for ourselves. And I'm convinced that 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 type of Christianity is like poison to our relationship with God, that it's robbing us of the depth and the richness of life with Jesus. And that's what this show is all about. You can expect new episodes every week on a range of topics, but all with the same goal of driving us towards Jesus and everything that we do. Again, my name is Noah Reed. I'm really glad you're here uh, listening and tuning in. I'm actually married to the most amazing girl I could have ever dreamed of. Her name is Rebecca, goes by Becca, and we've got two little kids uh, who make waking up every day just an an absolute blast. Uh, We currently live in Northern California where I work at our church as the next generation pastor uh, overseeing uh, kids ministry through young adults ministry, uh, but really hands-on with high schoolers at this point in time. And if you want to learn more about our family, uh, know a little bit more about what we're up to, I suggest you follow us on Instagram at What's Up Reads, or you can check us out online at whatsupreads.com, uh, where you could learn a whole bunch more about us as a family and why we do what we do. Again, I'm really glad you're here listening, uh, but we're going to jump right in because today we're talking about the difference between consumeristic Christianity and the call of Jesus. So we want to evaluate the way that we follow Jesus and compare that with the call that Jesus has given his disciples. And so before uh, we get really into it, we're going to start off by just defining some uh, defining some terms because consumerism, consumeristic Christianity, is, those are some terms we'll, we'll use a lot uh, here, especially on this episode, but on the show as a whole. Um, so, so to simplify it first, though, consumeristic Christianity, again, it's, it's an attitude we take when approaching our walk with Jesus that puts ourselves at the center of everything. So consumeristic Christianity says, Jesus, God, church, family, friends, relationships, you fill in the blank, they're here to serve me. They're here to fit my needs, and they're here to work for my happiness. Uh, It's really what happens when we allow consumerism uh, and a consumer mindset to to seep into every area of our life. And so let's let's look at the definition of consumerism uh, is actually, uh, it says that the first definition here is the protection or promotion of the interests of consumers, right? So, So the consumer interest 
is protected and promoted. That that becomes uh, the be-all, end-all. The number one priority is the interest of the consumer. Uh, and then the second, the second line here, which there's a note, says this is often derogatory, but the second definition here says the preoccupation of society with the acquisition of consumer goods. So you have the first one, protecting the interests of consumers, and then the second one, society being concerned about the consumer getting what they want. Right, and so this is this is consumerism. It's an attitude that we protect what the consumer wants, and and we promote their interests, and we give them what they want. Right, and so uh, this is this is that idea. Right, the customer's always right, and and we're used to this because in our world, uh, especially with things like Amazon Prime and those sorts of things, we can have whatever we want, when we want it, where we want it, how we want it. And if we don't like the way that it comes, we can send it back. We can return it. We can switch it out. Like we have, we can literally get whatever we want, when we want it, how we want it, where we want it. And our society's been built around so satisfying our every need, right? From from customized food to phones, computers, TVs, clothes, houses. Everything is built to fit the needs of the consumer in a, in our society, uh, broad scale, right? And so what happens when when our society functions like this? is that our, our, our natural tendency as, as human beings living in that kind of culture and society, our cruise control, if you will, like our default, is to fall into consumeristic mindset. And so uh, it, it's our default is to fall into uh, that idea that our life is here to serve me, that I should have what I want, that it should come how I want it and when I want it, that, that, that I deserve these things, right? That I deserve to be happy. And if I'm not happy, well, then I should, I am allowed to do whatever it takes to get me happy, right? So this is, this is kind of our default is that we're at the center and that everything around me in the, in the world and society is there, is there to serve me. That's, that's our center. And what we want to challenge you to do on this podcast is to think about uh, that critically, because uh, in my in my experience, my understanding of consumerism and, and when we engage in consumeristic mindset, uh, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about well, what's the opposite of consumerism? Because it doesn't make sense that the opposite of consumerism would be stopping consumption, right? It doesn't make sense that that the opposite of of consumeristic Christianity would then then be to not have Christianity at all. Uh, and, and I've come to realize that I, that I think the opposite of consumerism, like when you're engaging as a consumer, the opposite of consumerism is is critically thinking about what you're partaking in. So uh, if if you're the consumer participating so often, we don't think about these things and we just go through life consuming and taking and taking and taking and we just engage in it without thinking. And that's our default, right? That's our cruise control. The opposite of doing that would be critically thinking about it. And taking time to ask why I'm doing the things that I do and how I ended up here. Uh, and so that's that's definitely true in our faith, right? The opposite of a consumeristic faith or a consumeristic Christianity is not leaving behind Christianity altogether, but rather it's critically thinking about the way that we approach our Christianity and being thoughtful about how we engage uh, in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, because what, what happens here uh, when consumerism is, seeps into our faith, consumerism uh, begins to affect our, our individual faith and the list goes on and on and so that's <clears throat> that's the 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 beginning right the tip of the iceberg on how consumerism affects our individual faith I think it's really similar 
when we talk about how consumerism affects the church and how we engage uh, in in the local body of Christ. So the way that we uh, the way that we choose our church, right? When we're church hopping and church shopping, as they say, right? Like the things that we're looking at that are that are our criteria for choosing a church often revolve around my own comforts, my own needs, my own uh, experience, right? So I just, well, I just have to have this kind of preaching or I just really didn't like the worship over here, but I love the worship over here. And we begin to tailor our entire church experience to what makes us most comfortable, or what makes us uh, most willing to go there on a Sunday morning, right? And so uh, this is this is what happens is slowly over time in our individual faith, through the way we approach church, we begin to approach our walk with Jesus in a way that, that essentially says to Jesus, hey, I want to make it as easy as possible to follow you by, by trying to fit you in with what I'm already doing. So, so I'm already living my life in a specific way and what we try to do is take that and we try to just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus over the top right get get me enough Jesus so I'm covered on the surface level right but but I don't want to actually impact my day-to-day routine my weekly routine like that part can stay the same and I'll, I'll give Jesus you know my Sunday morning I'll sprinkle a little bit of Jesus over the top and now I've ended up with uh, a consumeristic Christianity, a, a Christianity that puts me at the at the focus of my walk with Jesus. It's made it really easy for me. It's made it comfortable. Not not not, not that it's made life easy for you per se, but it's it's made following Jesus uh, easy in the sense that it's about me. And so now I can do as I please, and I can do what might make me happy. Because well, of course God wants me to be happy, and so for me to follow God would be for me to pursue happiness. And so we, we there's just this, all these trails that we run down when when we approach our faith as if it should serve us and make us happy. Um, we it's like we want to know how to get our Jesus, but how to have our life too, right? So we want to uh, know like yeah, how much Jesus do I really need to have to be saved? And then great, I'm gonna hit that spot on, no more, no less. Right, and so that way I can still have my life to the other six days of the week, or we end up with this customized Jesus, where we end up taking the parts of Jesus that we like, and we, and we we like those parts, but the parts of Jesus we don't like, we leave those behind, right? Or we don't talk about those, or we don't study those, or we don't learn those. And I think uh, that that's dangerous for for a lot of reasons, uh, which we'll we'll unpack here in a minute. But that's essentially the overview of what consumeristic Christianity would say. Again, to summarize, consumeristic Christianity is an attitude we take when we approach our walk with Jesus that puts ourselves at the center of everything. And so it says, Jesus, God, church, these things are here to serve me, to fit my needs, and to work for my happiness. That's what we mean when we're talking about a consumeristic Christianity, and it affects, again, our individual faith, it affects our churches, I think it affects our families, uh, in, in in huge ways, because we begin to approach our families as if they're just there to fit my needs, to serve me, to make me happy. And if my family's not fulfilling that purpose, well, then I'll just ditch them or, or, or we're out or that there there's there's anger and there's resentment instead of looking at, well, what is God's design for family and how might I approach family in the way that God has called me to or what's my role supposed to be? in my family, right? Maybe I'm a son or a daughter, or maybe I'm a parent. 
um, or grandparent. And, and instead of looking at, well, what does God say my role should be in, in my family right now? We, we just get comfortable with, well, how can my family serve me? And what is my family's role in my life as opposed to what is my role in, in my family's life? And so again, consumerism, putting ourselves at the center, this idea of protecting and promoting the consumer's interests can be really dangerous to uh, our life, but also just to, to our faith and our walk with Jesus, which we know uh, impacts every area of our life. So what, what I want to do for the rest of the episode pretty much is, is walk through uh, Jesus's call. Uh, to the disciples, to those who want to follow him. And I want to compare and contrast this a little bit um, with this idea of consumeristic Christianity that we've seen. Because I I think part of the issue is that uh, many of us have, like we've, we've forgotten what Jesus's call was. And and I would say uh, I've been there as well, like in my, in my own life. But what, what happens is we've created uh, a culture that that has forgotten a little bit of some of the extremity of Christ's call <clears throat> to those who want to follow him. And so I want to walk through uh, just a, a few scripture passages uh, where Jesus is calling people to follow him, where he's talking about what it will look like uh, to follow Jesus. And hopefully that can kind of help us set the record straight a little bit on, on what following Jesus is supposed to look like. So first, um, I'm reminded of as we talk about this, I'm reminded of when Jesus calls the disciples. And so we'll look at three uh, different accounts really quick um, of when he calls his disciples. We have it in Mark chapter one, uh, verses 16 to 20. And it says, passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So there is a ton here to unpack. I mean, an entire sermon's worth, right, uh, of study. But but what we want to notice is a couple of things. First, Jesus calls. He says, follow me. And their response, immediately they left their nets and followed him, right? And then Jesus goes on a little bit further and he calls James and John, right? And what do they do? They they left their father in the boat, which, which you know, in, in this society, right? You would have taken your father's uh, occupation, would have been passed down uh, in, in this kind of patriarchal society. And so to leave their father in the boat, to walk out on that calling on their life is 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 major. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about family just in, in a second. But again, they, they immediately left everything. That's what we want to look at. They were left everything behind to follow Jesus. Uh, the next passage that we're going to uh, read quickly too is Matthew four, eighteen to 22. And it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, again, he, uh, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So again, the same account, right? Two different gospels, uh, but but majorly important that they, they left their father behind. They left uh, the life that they knew as fishermen behind in order to follow Jesus. They left everything at the call of Jesus. And then lastly, uh, and slightly longer, I want to read Luke 5, uh, 1 to 11. It says, 
One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. It's always Peter, right? To, to just He's always blurting out whatever's on his mind. I love it. Verse 9, For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is what uh, I want to talk about. What I want to hit on is Jesus calls his disciples, and their dis- the disciples' response is to immediately leave everything behind and follow him. And I think that we are called to, to imitate that response to Jesus's call. And so in this Luke 5 passage, right, you don't see, uh, they, they just caught more fish probably than they've ever caught in their life in, in, one, in one catch, right? Two boats are sinking with the amount of fish that they're coming, which again, just shows how epic Jesus is. And, and uh, I think he's showing them a little bit like your success doesn't depend on you. I will bring you success. You can trust me. Just come and follow me. And they, they don't even like sell the fish first or eat them. They just leave them there, right? Verse 11 says, They got the boats on shore and they just left everything there and they followed him, right? Like they, 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 listen, fishermen just caught more fish than they've ever caught in their entire life, right? And, and, uh, then they just left it there on the beach to follow Jesus. Like there's something, there's something radical about that, right? And in these accounts in Mark one and Matthew four, the way that, uh, James and John, right, they leave their father behind, for the sake of following Jesus. I think what we're supposed to take away from some of these passages is that Jesus is asking you for everything. Like he wants to be your spot number one. He's calling you to leave everything behind for the sake of following him. And for these specific disciples, right? It was family. It was uh, vocation. It was lifestyle, right? And for us, it might be some of those things as well, but, but it could be everything in between that we might be called to leave behind, that we might be called to give up in order to follow Jesus. And this is so different than the way that we often call people today, right? When, when and by that, I mean the way that we call people to follow Jesus. Like when somebody, when we're interacting with somebody who's new to faith, don't we so often try to make it so easy? And it comes from a good heart. Like we want to make following Jesus appealing because we want everybody to know Jesus so that they can go to heaven with us. But we make it so we try to make it so easy. We we dumb it down, or we make it simple, or uh, we 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 approach it in a way where we're like, you you can have this too. It's as easy as one, two, three, or whatever whatever we might say. And and uh, we try to make them feel in a way like like you don't even have to change anything. Just come. And there's a truth to that. 
The truth is that God loves you exactly as you are. And you don't have to change who you are to earn his love, to earn his grace, to be saved. You don't. But there's also a tension and a reality with that, that there's a cost of following Jesus, that that following Jesus uh, requires something of us, that partaking in that grace uh, requires something of us. And that's what we're getting at when Jesus is calling these disciples and he calls them to leave everything behind. And so it's, uh, I'm reminded, I'm, I'm reading right now, actually, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, and the beginning of the book is essentially him talking about the idea of cheap grace versus costly grace. And it's the idea that, that cheap grace is, is what we often live in, which is this idea that we can accept Jesus' forgiveness and not have to change how we're living. But costly grace is the grace uh, that Jesus offers, and it's grace because it's something we didn't deserve. It's the gift of eternal life that we didn't deserve, but it's costly because it requires our life from us. And it's so, the tension there is so real, right? So, so when we're calling people today, we, we make it, we try to make it really easy. And I, what I want to point out is that Jesus doesn't, when somebody comes to him to follow him, he, he doesn't make it easier, right? When, when he's going up to the disciples to call them to follow him, he doesn't, he doesn't say like, I see you guys are fishermen, uh, what, you know, what's your, uh, what's your weekly schedule look like? And I'll come at a time that works for you and, and we'll come and we'll talk and sit on the beach. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure they did that. Right. But his response is come and follow me. You have to leave everything behind. Right. So let's, let's talk about family too. I want to unpack that a little bit more because James and John leaving behind their father uh, is, is, is really huge, especially culturally, but, but as an example for us of, of how we might think about to the, the cost of following Jesus. So in Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 25 to 33. Uh, we'll, we'll just read part of it at a time here. Uh, but verse 25 says, Not, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And we're going to continue, but, but it's like, hold on. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother and wife and children. He can't be my disciple. Like, since when is Jesus, you know, preaching that we should hate those in our family with us? And and he's using hyperbole, right? He's using uh, exaggeration maybe to, to prove the point. What he's trying to say is that if you're not willing to leave behind your family in order to follow me, you're not going to make it, right? And so uh, he's saying, if you're not willing to give these things up, you actually, you're, you can't be my disciple, not because I won't allow you, but because you won't, you won't make it on the road of following Jesus if you're not willing to leave some of these things behind. And so when it comes again to us calling people, right, and, and uh, the way that we approach people, we, we approach, and, and again, I think it's from a good heart. I think there's a lot of good strategy behind this, but we try to make it really easy. Jesus has great crowds following him is the word, right? Great crowds. Like we're probably thinking hundreds, maybe thousands of people following him, listening to him. And he says, you have to be willing to leave your own family behind in order to follow me. And he goes on. He goes on. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So much there. But the cross is this emblem of shame, right? The cross is not... At this point in time, the cross is not like something people are tattooing on themselves or putting on the back of their, I don't know, they didn't have cars, their wagon or whatever they had. Like the cross is an embarrassment. And so Jesus says, if you're not willing to bear your own cross and come after me, you can't be my disciple. 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and he's not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's read that verse again, verse 33. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is talking about here is the idea that before we set out on following Jesus, right? He says we should count the cost, right? Like if you're going to build a building, everyone would sit down first, count out how much it costs, see if you have the money to afford it, see if you have the labor to complete it. And Jesus is saying we can do the same thing when it comes to following Jesus. We ought to know what it's going to cost us before we get in on it. And that's where he starts with this. If you're not willing to leave your family behind, you're not going to make it. And then he closes with, if you don't renounce all that you have, you can't be my disciple. And so we get this picture and this tension of the fact that following Jesus could cost us everything. And we have to be willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. And I think that's so different, so different than how we're used to following Jesus. The way that we typically think uh, about following Jesus, how we're, we're used to putting ourselves and our own comfort in the middle. Like Jesus is here to make me happy and Jesus says, you should be willing to give up everything in order to follow me. Right, Jesus, uh, there's the, the famous verse too. Right, you gotta uh, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Like that's what following Jesus looks like. Again, it's not, it's not I'm sprinkling a little bit of Jesus over my week. It's not, it's not I gave Jesus my Sunday mornings, my Wednesday nights, right? And I kept the rest for me. It's, it's I'm renouncing everything I have in order to follow Jesus. It's, it's uh, family, vocation, friendship, relationships, possessions, houses, cars, money, salary, whatever it might be that has your heart. Jesus says, you better be willing to give that up in order to follow me. Not because he's, he's threatening you and not because it's shameful, but because that's, that's what it will take. And so he's saying, think about it in advance. Right? If you're not going to be ever willing to give up your money, you're not going to make it as a disciple. So just know that ahead of time. Right? If, 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 uh, if whatever, there's something on your heart that has your heart, and this happens to all of us, Right? And this is what Jesus is after, too, is, is a heart that's pure, a heart that longs to follow him. But Jesus is saying, whatever has your heart more than I do, if you're not willing to leave it behind, you're not going to make it as my disciple. Again, because this whole Luke 14 uh, passage is about thinking in advance about following Jesus. It's about counting the cost before we actually follow Jesus. I want to turn to, to one last passage uh, as we kind of beat this, this idea uh, here. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Uh, it's uh, Jesus's interaction with the rich young ruler. <clears throat> and he says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do so that I might inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, the rich young ruler said to him, Teacher, I've kept all of these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, right, with with people, this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. But here's the rich young ruler, right? He comes up to Jesus and he's like, teacher, what do I have to do to be saved? Look, I've done all of these things. And Jesus doesn't like, I, it says Jesus showed love to him. So he doesn't do this in a shameful or or like condemnation filled way if that's if that's even a phrase right but what he does is 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 he picks on the one thing that's still an idol in this man's life he picks on the one thing right he doesn't he doesn't say wow that's amazing you've done all these things yeah i guess like like, i guess you've made it in he says he says go and sell everything you have And, and what does it say he just walks away He's deeply dismayed, right? He owns a lot of things. It's like, he said, God, what do I have to do to be saved? And he was willing to do everything except for sell the stuff that he owned, right? Except for get rid of his possessions, except for uh, disown his wealth. And this is what the point is that Jesus doesn't want to take our second best. Like the man comes, he says, I've done all these things. And Jesus says, look, I'm not going to settle for that because I know that you're holding something in a higher place in your heart than you're holding me. And so if you want to be saved, I have to be number one. And for you, it's not that Jesus wants his money or wants him to be poor. It's that his money and his possessions have a grip on his heart that belongs to Jesus. And so Jesus says, go and sell everything you have, right? That would show that you trust God more than you care about your money, that you love the Lord more than you love your money. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Right? And, and this is, it's funny the way scripture writes, right? This is Jesus showing love to him. This is the way Jesus shows love to the rich young ruler is by saying, look, you need to go sell everything you have. And he, and he walks away. Guys, this is the call for us to follow as well. It's the call is to put Jesus in spot number one. Right? I like to think about it, like if Jesus isn't spot number one, then he's not a spot at all. He's not going to settle for, for second place in our heart. He doesn't want to settle for for third or fourth in our heart. He wants to be number one. And we might think that's selfish, and and a little bit it is, right? We know we serve a jealous God. He's jealous of your spot number one. He's jealous of your attention. He's jealous of your affection because he is the only being that is worthy of it. And so when we put something else in spot number one, when we put money or fame or power or sex or whatever it might be in spot number one, We've just, we've messed up our priorities and now Jesus is rightfully upset because he says that spot belongs to me. And you've put something else in my place. And so no, you, you can't be my disciple 
If your job is more important to you than following me, you, you won't make it. You can't be my disciple if, if, if money is more important to you than, than having a heart that's after God's own heart. Right? This is what Jesus is hitting at is, look, I have to be spot number one, not because, not because I'm, I'm this uh, uh, unjustifiably jealous and possessive being, but because that's a right priorities, because I'm creator of the entire universe, because as, as Colossians says, he's preeminent in everything. And so when we put a created thing in spot number one, now we've put a creation above the creator and everything's out of whack. And that's what upsets Jesus is he wants our heart to be a heart that's full of right priorities, which is him first. And so you better believe that when we approach our Christianity in a way that puts me at the center, that puts my interests at the center, that, that's concerned with getting me what I want, when I want it, how I want it, you better believe that that upsets Jesus. When we approach our church in a way where the body of Christ, the gathering of believers, now we're approaching it in the sense of, I hope that this makes me happy, and if I don't fit here, or I don't feel like I belong, or the preacher says something I don't like, well, I'll just check out the next street down the church, or the next church down the street. When we approach church like that, man, what have we done? We've just put ourselves above the call of Jesus in our local body, and we do the same thing in our families. Christ has given you a role and a calling in your family as it is right now, whether you're a parent or a child or a sibling or an uncle or a grandparent. Christ has given you a role to play in your family, but so often what do we do? We look at it and look at how our family is supposed to be serving us. And all of a sudden, we've put us in spot number one, and this is what happens in a society that is preoccupied with the consumption, right, uh, of consumer goods, the acquisition of consumer goods, that's what it was. And a society that is most concerned with getting people what they want, we put ourselves in spot number one, and Jesus over and over and over again in Scripture says that he must be spot number one, that he wants to be spot number one, that he deserves to be first. Not because, and again, not because it's unjustifiable, but because he's the only thing worthy of spot number one. And when we give our spot number one to something else that's been created or to ourselves, we've messed up our priorities. And so this is the main difference between a consumeristic Christianity and, and a life submitted to Christ, right? This is the difference between I'm showing up on Sunday and I'm getting my donut and, and I'm living a life that's fully surrendered to Jesus. The difference is who is at the center when you look at your faith or your marriage or your family or your church or your relationships, are you putting you at the center? Are all those things in your life, are they good when they serve you? Right? Is everything going well when you're happy? Or is everything going well when it's submitted to Christ? Right? That's, that's the question. Who's at the center of all those things? And if it's you, then, then this is what we're going to challenge every week on the podcast. Am I just showing up? Like, am I, am, I, am I on cruise control, putting myself at the center, floating through marriage, floating through life, floating through church? Or am I giving thought to my ways, as Proverbs would say? Am I, am I merely approaching life and faith and church to get the customized version of everything that I want? Putting myself in spot number one, putting my own needs in spot number one? 
Or am I approaching life asking what Jesus wants from me in each place and space that I walk into? That's the goal. We want to put Jesus in spot number one, and we want to remove ourselves from that. Not not because Jesus doesn't care about our happiness, but because we want to follow Jesus the way that Scripture tells us to follow Jesus, which is that Christ must have our heart above all else. And so we put Christ in spot number one, and we watch what he does with the rest of the spots. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Your Donut Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard, rate the show and leave us a review. That helps other people find us and it lets us know how you feel about it. I hope you have an awesome day and that you never settle for anything less than all in with Jesus. Thank you.